0: beats rye and types uh, this is MRB and I'm here with AQ and a special guest on this episode Karen Meyer who's joining us from Cincinnati Ohio uh, but first let's talk about the let's talk about the song that you chose as our intro music uh, today Tell us a little bit about it and, and why you chose it
1: yeah it, it, it's a great it's a great song it's celery stocks. I always thought it was called Celery Stocks Along the Highway, but it's actually called Celery Stocks at Midnight, but it's a great kind of swing, big band piece, and it's all instrumental until you get to, I think it's about like two-thirds of the way through, where some guy in the band just shouts out, Celery Stalks Along the Highway, and that's it, and then it's all instrumental after that. So, Spoiler
0: <laughs> alert.
2: <laughs>
1: so I that, that's it had a special place since the first time I saw that. And I went, what the heck? <laughs> and then I decided it was brilliant.
0: <laughs> well, that works. We were, we've been talking about jazz music lately on in the last couple of episodes, so it, it kind of fits in with that theme. Yeah. <laughs> how, how you doing, Aaron? What's going on?
2: Doing good. Summer is popping off over here, so happy about that. We were just talking about how we're in three different locales, but we're, feeling we're making it feel like we're all in the same place, and I'm sure we're all experiencing summer in our own individual ways.
0: I think I'm in the warmest uh, growing zone of the three of us, <laughs> yeah. so we have tomatoes already. Do you have tomatoes yet, Karen?
1: We have tomatoes a little bit. Um, it's been rather cool here in Ohio and wet So they're not quite ripening up um, as fast as they normally have. Yeah, yeah, they're coming along. Nothing like a fresh tomato.
0: Yeah, that's the case. In Maryland, in the agricultural community in Maryland, if you don't have tomatoes by the 4th of July, that's like a problem. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, everything is going smoothly down here in that. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show and chat with you is because a lot of people give conference talks Um, And a lot of people spend time thinking about interesting things to present about and kind of expressing their passion for a given subject on the stage. But I think it's fair fair to say that uh, over the course of the past couple of years, you've done kind of an exceptional job of finding things that you're interested in demonstrating them and getting other people interested in, in this thing that you're passionate about. Why I'm sort of framing it that way is because that's kind of a persistent ongoing themes of this podcast As we kind of, we, we realize that, you know, the name of the podcast is beats Ryan types. It's like about all the things that we like, but we're, it's like, those are just kind of instances of things we like. What we're really (laughs) interested in talking about is like how to like things Learning how to like things and communicating about how you like things. One example is you uh, did a bunch of work with robotics and programming robots with Clojure, which was really cool, and uh, on stage performed like several robot live electronic music dance parties i guess it would be safe to call them is that is that a fair classification of of some of these performances they they
1: were awesome when they worked
0: right (laughs) i saw them work at least a little bit um so yeah i just wanted to and you have an up you have an upcoming one i saw you give a talk about artificial intelligence related programming languages stuff once that was really cool i saw you have an upcoming talk about uh chemical computing which i don't know anything about but it I think probably it's cool if you're interested in it so I'm looking forward to hearing about that so uh, yeah that that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about Ta- Tell us about kind of talk to us about your your process and your you know what what goes into coming up with these things how it happens and do you also find that there's like a common thread through these
1: Yeah well, I think one of the best things about the internet and just the community is you can connect with people that, are interested in the same strange things you are. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I just think that's beautiful. So it's, it's a real joy for me to share something that I just find is really cool and interesting and somebody says, wow, I really like that too. And then, you know, with the, with GitHub and open source, they can build on that. And, you know, together, basically it's just like dreaming with other people. And, and i i just really dig that i think that's just so beautiful yeah when, when i get into something i i like to try to share it and um if that ignites in somebody else's subconscious and ha- spark something new and beautiful then that's what it's all about
2: for you has it been one of those things where like you found out i don't know what came for you what came before robotics but was there something that was like oh, okay now robots is the next eventual step from the previous thing I'm doing. And then, okay, artificial intelligence, is the next step from robots, yada, yada, yada. Is, yeah. Is... It
1: all kind of built like with the, the robots, it started with getting a Roomba and I was like, Oh, I can hack that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was into closure, trying to learn closure at the same time. And I was like, Oh, I can hack that with a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then once I controlled one robot, it was like the gateway drug, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then I saw um, a quadcopter, and I was like, ooh, could control with REPL. (laughs) (laughs) And then it kind of crosses over, right? So I was interested in Clojure, which then got me drawn into Lisp and started reading John McCarthy's um, papers. And I didn't realize at first, I knew he was, you know, Lisp but I didn't realize the AI contributions that he had made um, so that got me reading a lot of his uh, works on artificial intelligence and one in, in particular which was looking at the philosophy of language in um, in relation to programming languages and how we communicate with computers and machines and um, you know what we could learn from both and that kind of um, sparked me going off and using instaparse and creating a language that could talk in somewhat speech acts to my quadcopter (laughs) so it's all kind of built on stuff and then I think I discovered overtone and I don't know how I'm not a musician at all I was a dancer and I love music but unfortunately I can't read music and I can't you know, play it, but with overtone and computer programming, I could actually make a little music myself, which was really fun. So then the next logical step for me was to have the robots dance <laughs> and then it's, it's it, it, that was great and fun, but it still wasn't quite satisfying because I, I could only make a little bit of music and I couldn't make it really well. But then, for strangely last year, I got the chance to hook up with Sam Aaron and Meta X, who can actually jam live with overtone and create beautiful sounds. So then they shipped off their beats to my robots, and we like danced together on the stage, which was like the highlight of my entire year.
2: <laughs> I can imagine that sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, that was a good that was a good time, and they actually like perform in like Emacs is their instrument kind yeah, of, right? Yeah, they are brilliant.
1: Yeah. And actually, uh, Sam Aaron's doing some really cool stuff now with, it's not, it's not Clojure, but uh, it's Ruby with Sonic Pi.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so he's getting children in particular, well, not just children, but just people that aren't normally exposed to programming, exposed to programming through creating music, which I think is a great way to bring people into and computer programming with creating things.
2: Yeah, I mean, logo and the whole, mm-hmm. you know, making, making a turtle draw is kind of a similar idea, right, of, like, you know, you're programming something, but it's visual or, you know, it has some aspect of something creative as opposed to just, like... Um, making an app or making a website or something like that not that that isn't creative but it's like it's you know it's more tied to the art i guess and instant feedback yeah
1: it gets people in the feels right you connect the feels to computer programming (laughs) yeah that's right you got some good stuff going on
0: (laughs) well i think you learn a lot by expressing yourself and seeing or you know perceiving what you express is like a, a really good uh really resonant feedback loop for people when when they have just becomes less abstract. Uh, It's hard to convince someone that you're solving some other kind of weird abstract math problem is going to be satisfying (laughs) to them. They'd rather, like, make a cool spirograph loop or, you know, make some techno music or something like that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs)
0: Right. We have discussed a few times taking that route, like finding out about someone and reading their work very deeply and then trying to, I I think that it's really cool when you're able to do that and then kind of close that feedback loop by, by then making something that, uh, kind of encompasses all the things that you've learned. And that, that's a challenging, that's a challenging thing for, for some people, right? They're like, they get kind of exhausted by the research phase of something. And then when it comes to actually sitting down and making something, so, so what is that the, is that the means to the end of what you're working on or is that part of learning about it? Describe that.
1: I I think uh, for me, I don't have a, um, I, I didn't study computer programming in college. And so a lot of the notation is, is really hard for me in some of the papers. So it's a real stretch. For me to sit down and try to understand a paper. And I like that. It kind of gets me out of my. That's one reason I like it. I like the challenge of trying to understand it. I also like the growth aspect of it. To really learn something new is, I think, is to find a new way of thinking about it. And one of the ways that you can find a new way of thinking about it is to try to understand somebody else's mindset. That they had when they were writing this paper. <laughs> so, and that's that's a challenge, and I think it's a huge area for growth when um, you can you can do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, stated more stated like a little differently from what you said, or more more generally, I think that understanding the problem that someone was trying to solve when they wrote a paper or whatever, is an essential aspect of really, like, learning how to consume, specifically consuming academic work. Like, that can be really confusing for people because they hear, like, read X if you want to learn about Y or this paper is, like, the paper about whatever. But if you don't really understand the actual problem that the person was trying to solve, it can lead to all kinds of challenges in actually understanding it. Like, motivation turns out to be an important part of... You know why people publish these papers to begin with
2: yeah that's actually interesting i i I mean i've thought about it in terms of like the problem but thinking about it in terms of like taking that one step further and thinking about it in terms of like context like what the context almost like an artist like creating a work of art or like a painting you know thinking about Leslie Lamport's like context was when he wrote like the distributed system paper they were they were in a specific place thinking about working with specific people thinking about specific problems yep. maybe there's actually more to it than just like this is a paper I mean I, like it's more it's more um, concrete when you think about like the Google papers or the Facebook papers where it's like clearly like these were created in like a Um, not a vacuum but in like a very specific like world and they're coming out of a very specific you know problem set that these companies have but yeah it's interesting to think about the pure academic ones and where those came out of too
0: yeah well a lot of the the Lamport stuff is really some of it's really interesting because he you know he worked with airline manufacturers and people where there were actual like life impacting consequences if software didn't run right. So he did, like, the first, you know, some of the first software uh, that ran in critical functions on airplanes were a product of being able to, like, verify some of, the, some of the way that these programs ran. So, like, Byzantine failure, as an example, is, like, not a thing that really happens, like, in the real world. It's not like a network partition where that's, like, a thing that happens all the time. Like, a malicious internal attacker like doing all these crazy things but anyway they they had to think about every edge case because if they didn't think about it then someone would just die so or a plane would explode or something like that so that is really interesting because people talk about it and then if you have softer requirements than uh he did when he was solving that problem in like a military industrial capacity (laughs) then that's kind of nice because it makes solving (laughs) your problem a little bit easier no kidding yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah (laughs) So yeah, Lamport's a kind of a cool example, but yeah, industrial research definitely makes it a lot clearer. It's nice to know their context because you can understand the way they solve the problem, but it could also be fun. Like John McCarthy was really into like, you know, computers playing chess, right? So that is what fueled a lot of his desire to do artificial intelligence research. Uh, So besides the fact that, you know, the military funded all of it literally yeah like thinking about some of these people who are so uh, fun their contributions are so fundamental to mathematics and computation and stuff it's like cool to think about that they also just basically like you know they programmed computers too right like I think it's a cool thing to think about how we kind of are working in the same medium as these as these people like picking up the same kind of paintbrush and using the same, you know, generally speaking, it's the same kind of activities that we participate, like the outcome of our work, at least is sort of of the same, like made up of the same stuff.
1: Oh, that's a cool way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Kind of a connection between all those great historical figures that we stand on their shoulders all the time, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, computers are a lot different now than they were then, obviously, they like I'm sure that John McCarthy would think this is pretty cool that we're like all talking to each <laughs> yeah, other from, Exactly, right? over
2: the internet. <laughs> I was going to say for them it's probably like like the difference though is that they were like chiseling things out of stone and we're just like like screwing nuts and bolts together basically. <laughs> like it's a much different much different level of work, I think. Yeah. Not that I don't appreciate all the things that, you know, yeah. all of us here do, but it's definitely like a Working in a slightly different scale or medium, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've heard plumbing uh, analogies. <laughs> Plum right. Right to what we plumbing too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite often.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it makes sense. I,
2: My plumber gets paid as much as I do. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really. Uh, it's also cool because I mean, w- one thing that I always think is interesting about, like when McCarthy and, and uh, the early MIT days, they were working like. In systems that were really, really small and so knowable, like in a way that our systems and the way the way that we work is are just we just has like none of those qualities. So I'm sort of jealous in a way of the simplicity of uh, the the medium that they have. I mean, we could do that, I guess. The size of the system is definitely a very impactful difference.
1: Different problems, though, that are still really interesting to solve. Right. I mean, it's just constraints different constraints
0: <laughs> right yeah right i agree i've seen so i was i was browsing your blog earlier today and saw that that was a subject that, that you had written about recently also and aaron, aaron and i have spoken about the, the this idea too the impacts of constraints on creativity and the positive impact also just in general like you said of stepping outside of your comfort zone to like experience something for the sake of experiencing it
1: yeah definitely
2: yeah i love the maurice sendak uh quote too or the you know the story the anecdote of his like that whole interview and that whole thing is really hilarious like he was definitely a cantankerous character but he also like just knew kind of eventually figured out what he was good at and just did it and he like enjoyed did that the rest of his life you know um and yeah, there was he, he, there was like a great video interview with him too, where he was like very adamant. I think it was actually with Stephen Colbert. He did this amazing interview with Stephen Colbert right before he passed away. And it was about, uh, like he was really adamant that he did not create draw children's books like he was like i'm an artist i draw books but they happen to be that children are the ones who read them but i'm not a children's book author and he hated being pigeonholed as a children's book author but i just think that's interesting because even if that's the case that's definitely like the realm in which he in which he decided chose to work in right nice
1: yeah, that, that reminds me. I just went to uh, it was it was a bit ago, but uh, Philip Glass came to Cincinnati, which I thought was amazing, uh, and I got to hear his concert and he and he spoke just for a few minutes beforehand, and I got as close as I could. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, somebody asked him about being a minimalist composer, and he's like, "I am not a minimalist composer." <laughs> <laughs> I compose music, and I, you know, now if you listen to his stuff, it's definitely not as, you know, quote, minimalist as some of his earlier pieces. He's, he's another one that's, uh, you know, doesn't really like to do the pigeonhole thing. Yeah,
2: <laughs> just being categorized at all, you know, you know, I think people who are creative like that, like Maurice Sendeck and Philip and have those kind of ambitions to just do great things and do all have a, these huge, enormous bodies of work, Right. Um, that might happen to be fall within a certain category. They're, they're like, this is my aesthetic, but it's just something that I choose to do I feel like I like it and this is my the thing that I do not because I can't like Philip Glass could probably be like yeah I could write you know a, like a giant marching band piece if I wanted to but I'm gonna this is like my this is the thing that I actually like doing so I'm going to keep doing that but that doesn't mean I'm a minimalist composer right it's right, just what right. I like doing like I'm not a Ruby programmer and <laughs> you're not a closure <laughs> programmer
0: yeah I think that's an I think that's an apt analogy for sure <laughs> So earlier I alluded to uh, another, um, another subject that we were discussing before uh, the podcast started, which was uh, chicken raising. You, I know, one of the other reasons why I thought it would be fun to have you on the show is because I know that you have, you keep some chickens. Aaron recently acquired like his, uh, a, a house up in upstate New York. And, uh, I'm moving actually in like five days to a house that I'm, that I purchased in the Washington DC area with a, a nice, in a nice warm area with a giant backyard. So, uh, and our, and another thing is that my, my in-laws have a farm down in Southern Maryland and have a bunch of chickens there. So I have access to some people that, know how to raise chickens too but I thought it would be fun uh, since I said I characterized Aaron and I as aspiring chicken owners um, <laughs> I thought I would talk to you about uh, I thought it would be fun for us to chat about that a little bit also
1: Chickens are wonderful okay and, and I definitely think you should get them and I will tell you the pros first and then I will tell you the cons <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so the pros are especially and i'm assuming they'll be free range right yeah okay yeah so especially during the summer when there's lots of bugs for them to eat and like fruit from the trees their yolks get like so super orange and they're so fresh i mean they're just delicious the the second reason you should get them is that they make the most awesome creme brulee ever (laughs) <laughs> like my, my husband makes creme brulee with them, and it is just to die for. Um, I, you know, now I can't, I can't eat any creme brulee at a restaurant because it just does not <laughs> taste the same. Uh, so you make creme brulee with fresh chicken eggs, and it's delicious. So you, uh, this is the trick too. So you use all the yolks, in because you use the yolks and the cream for the creme brulee, but then you can use the whites and save them back and make fresh meringues.
0: Nice.
1: Uh, so you've got them all—all all the parts you used. <laughs> so,
2: I, I bet pasta would be really good with it too if you used fresh, like made fresh pasta with all. Oh yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah.
1: and, that's and awesome. one of the favorite parts of the summer is when you get like tomatoes coming in and um, basil coming in and some lettuce, and we can have a dinner entirely from the garden, like an omelet. And uh, except for cheese, we don't have a cow yet, <laughs> but mostly all from the garden of, um, you know, eggs and and veggies. It's great.
0: So what are the cons?
1: The cons, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: so the cons are that. Oh wait, no, there's another pro. Oh
0: okay. We'll <laughs> okay, do yeah, the yeah, other pro going. first.
1: The, the you can use them as uh, your own little recyclers and garbage garbage collector. So we take all of our scraps, like after dinner, except for the meat, because I don't want to get into feeding chicken to chicken. That's, I just feed that to the dog. <laughs> 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 all the other non-meat scraps, we just give back to the chickens. So they take all those extra food scraps and they just turn them into more eggs. So that's, that's another great, great pro.
0: They're also kind of hilarious. Like the, at the farm, my wife's parents have, I think, I don't know, 10 or 12 chickens, 10 or 12 hens, and they just kind of walk around. They're a little cliquish. There's, like, two groups. There's one one of the chickens, like, really thinks that she's a pet because there's, like, two little dogs that live inside the house, and this one chicken is just constantly trying to, like, sneak into the house (laughs) and hangs around the entranceway and, like, wants to be picked up and stuff. It's really funny. So they are really kind of social and funny. Yeah, yeah.
1: They're, they're fun. They're saying that one of the main bad things about chickens are that things like to eat them.
0: Right. <laughs> that so, can be scary.
1: Yeah, especially if they're just running around free range. For the first few years that we had them, we just let them run around our yard just doing whatever. Like, we'd be out there sitting in the backyard, and we'd have tea in our hand, and we're watching the chickens saying, This is so cool. Our chickens are walking around the backyard <laughs> drinking <laughs> tea. And, like, a hawk came down. No joke. And just <laughs> went, <laughs> Whoa! I like got one <laughs> Holy shit. wow that's, that's amazing
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so and then you've got to worry about raccoons at night so you got to make sure that you get back from dinner in time to make sure the coop's locked up and there's and then a fox can get them during the day and we had one year where they just wiped out our whole flock in like one day oh man so we the spring we actually dug a whole fence um, we, they have a really big perimeter where they can roam. And actually, I just let them out of the perimeter today, so we'll see what happens. But <laughs> <laughs> we, we, have, we have a fox-proof perimeter um, that helps protect them from the fox coming up from the creek and just grabbing whatever he wants.
0: <laughs> Damn, that hawk story is dramatic, though.
1: It was pretty dramatic, especially when, <laughs> when we, were, we were just actively gloating about our chickens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sipping tea. Yeah, exactly.
2: How did you uh, get into that? Is it Did you just read a book? Did you grow up with chickens? Or
1: No, I didn't grow up with chickens. I, I kind of wanted chickens because we were living in the city. And then um, we moved out to the country and I was like, oh, I want to get chickens. Um, I'm, and I'd like to get more things eventually, but it's just time. I, what I really would like to get is like a mini cow <clears throat> eventually. I think a mini cow would be so cool. But... You gotta, like, milk it twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I already have to find, like, chicken sitters for when I go on vacation. Yeah. So I don't know about a cow sitter that might be pushing it. How many
0: is the mini cow?
1: I don't know ex- exactly, but, it, well, you can't see where I'm talking. But I think it's about, like, as high as a table. Like
0: like a large dog?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's bigger than a, well, I guess a few. He's got a really big dog. But it's, <laughs> um, yeah, they were, they were bred to be mini milkers like family sized cows because if you if you get a regular sized cow the amount of milk that it produces in one day is just like crazy (laughs) you know there's no way you could ever drink that just got to start
2: making cheese yeah
1: yeah it's just way too much i I forget the exact number but i think it's like 16 gallons or something crazy like that yeah it's
0: way too (laughs) much I'm sure they have to consume a lot of whatever to produce that yeah, whatever, yeah. Whatever, whatever, a lot of yeah. grains or whatever cows eat. Yeah,
1: so I, I daydream about that sometimes. I'd also like to get um, a folly. Have you ever heard about it? like a folly, like those? Mm-mm. I guess usually I don't forget where it originated from, but you'll see them like over in England in these old houses. They build these stone like little towers, and they're called folly because they have no purpose except for just looking funny
0: uh-huh but i saw this
1: one picture of somebody that had a folly which was this tower with like little stairs and ramparts and then they had like their goats just walking up there and chilling up there i thought that would be amazing to have that in your backyard
0: <laughs> a little slice of the english countryside in your yeah,
2: backyard exactly. yeah
0: the folly on its own would be cool, but the goats chilling yeah, the in, the, goats, yeah. in the tower.
2: <laughs> I think the goats steal the deal, yeah.
0: That would bring it over the top. Maybe, a, <laughs> well, a, a goat probably produces more in line with, like, what a family could consume in there terms you of go. milk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or a sheep. Yeah.
0: Sheeps are funny, too. I Yeah. I've, I've, I've hung out with some sheeps. <laughs>
1: Tell us more. They
0: also walk around around like in groups and kind of like, they're kind of nosy and they're like up in your business and stuff. Yeah, foxes and dogs are like a problem where we, where we're moving. There's definitely foxes. So I was thinking about getting like a, like a fox whistle that I can like (laughs) mystically train the foxes and maybe, maybe, maybe like form like a fox, like a fox army or something like that. What do you guys think is, about that idea? Is the
2: fox whistle also a vaporizer?
0: <laughs> it's really cool. I'll, I, I guess you guys, I'll send you the Wikipedia page about okay. fox whistles. Exactly. Okay.
2: I believe you. I believe you. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't see what the big deal is about potentially forming like a mystical fox army. <laughs> because then they could protect my chickens. That was the ultimate idea. Oh, not, I, I don't want to do anything too nefarious with it or anything. I mean, I could. <laughs> No one would really stop me. Something like, to...
2: like Princess Mononoke, basically. I'd be like the
0: basically like the master of all of the foxes, essentially. <laughs> it's like a regional thing. Right? It's like unless someone else in my neighborhood was already trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. In which case that might be better because I don't really want all that responsibility. I would just maybe like negotiate with them to like look something, out for my chickens. something
2: tells me that that the area you're moving to it ha- already has a mystical fox leader. Yeah, just have, you're having been right. there, having been there and town. walked around. You know, I don't know. Do you, are you, have you been gardening too, Karen? Is that a thing that you guys have space yeah, for? Yeah,
1: yeah. My my husband does all the hard gardening. I um I go out and you know walk out there and pick the tomato for dinner. <laughs> he does all the hard work of gardening. He he read this strange gardener account you know, Like he, he gets all these like folksy accounts of things that are supposed to make your garden grow better and there was one account that um, he tried this summer that, that worked pretty well or spring which was in our tomatoes this guy said you should dig a hole and put um, before you plant your tomatoes in there a corn cob and chicken poop and we said hey we got corn cobs and chicken poop <laughs> let's try it <laughs> And the plants are really, really healthy.
2: That's awesome. I don't know. Tomatoes, I think tomatoes specifically because of like the relation to like old world America and Italy, there's like a million like little things you can do. I, I, I did a similar thing where like I made like some fresh cheese earlier in the year and I was like trying to figure out what to do with all this. You know, you the byproduct of making cheese is you have this like whole bucket of whey basically because if you use like two gallons of milk, maybe you'll make like a, a quarter pound cheese and all the rest of the liquid is just this whey. And I read multiple sources that were like oh just pour the whey on the base of the tomatoes and spray it on the leaves and supposedly it like to because of the high acidity of the whey tomatoes love that i guess and it actually worked like my this tomato plant like i don't i don't i mean who knows i it's i'm not really a b testing it so i can't tell you what the what the um what a tomato without way looks like but the tomato (laughs) my tomatoes are have gotten pretty tall I'm pretty happy with how that worked out
1: yeah we were some corn too and uh it seems like every year like just when the corn is getting to just um you know put out its pollen things (laughs) I don't even know the term
2: but (laughs) it seems
1: like a, a wind comes by like we get this windstorm and it just like flattens it all it's horrible (laughs) but the thing is after the first year we actually went out there and would try to prop them all up again with like little stakes and everything like that and it was a lot of work but it seemed like it worked the second year it happened again we got a storm and we kind of got tired of propping them up halfway through so we propped up about half half of them and then the other half we just left there and went well whatever (laughs) (laughs) and what turned out is that they straightened up on their own just growing if you're ever going corn and it gets flattened you Don't need to go out there and prop them all up because they straighten we'll up figure all through their own. So, huh. just yeah. le- letting you know.
0: That's good. It took That's us a good two tip. years
1: to figure that out. <laughs> it's not a
0: bad attempt. I've learned less in a longer periods of time before, certainly. <laughs> so, it's not so bad.
1: Yeah, we actually grew last year for the first time, and it was fantastic. We grew uh, popcorn. So ah. It's a special variety of corn that you use for drying out and then making into popcorn. And the thing that's fabulous about that is that the raccoons do not like to eat the popcorn corn. They're just like, ugh, that stuff tastes horrible. So <laughs> nothing
2: really they easy. just haven't figured out the popping technology. Well they're is just <laughs> they're
0: super raccoons are superstitious about microwaves and stuff. <laughs> yeah,
2: so that's that's what it is.
0: <laughs> no, but do you have a cool do you like pop them in oil or how do you how do you pop? We just do it in an air popper. Uh, air popper, nice. Um but they're they're I nice. love popcorn too.
1: Yeah, they're they're an heirloom, uh, I think Japanese Hollis variety. So it's a lot tastier than you normally get from the store and you get tons.
0: You have to dry it?
1: Yeah, you gotta dry it and then you have to get all the the kernels off once it dries, but there's a machine that kind of grinds it. It's kinda fun. You just stick the, the corn cob in there and it grinds off, all of them off.
0: Could force your children to do it. <laughs> yeah, they like to do it. They like to do it. <laughs> I mean ask your children nicely to do it. That's <laughs> cool well uh i think that we are just about out of time so uh thanks a lot uh for joining us that was a lot of fun i think learned a lot about chickens and we were also able to explore some of the other things that we were hoping we would get to talk about so thanks for thanks for joining us
1: yeah it was fun thanks for having me on
0: and uh thanks everyone else for tuning in and uh stay tuned we have some exciting things coming up more guests and Aaron and I will be uh in the same place again in a couple weeks working on working on pizza related uh skunkworks projects so uh (laughs) stay tuned for more information on that uh and uh, we'll see you next time thanks